0: Have you ever asked yourself, am I a bad therapist? Well, you're in the right place. I'm Allie Joy, licensed professional counselor and board-certified art therapist. And
1: I'm Katherine Scare, a clinical psychologist, and this is Am I a Bad Therapist?
0: Join us each week for stories from behind the closed therapy
1: door. You'll hear experiences that made us ask... Am I a bad therapist? Including bloopers, jaw droppers, and other difficult moments that normalize the unique struggles of modern day therapists.
0: This is a space with no experts, no gurus, and no hierarchies, just humans sitting in similar chairs.
1: And while we're not the gatekeepers for good and bad therapy, because we're bad therapists too, we are here to shine a light on the difficult decisions therapists face on a daily basis and to normalize that mysterious gray area of clinical practice that no one wants to talk about. Allie, you will not believe who we finally have on the show today. Who is it? Alicia
0: Murray. Oh my gosh. For our listeners, we connect with Alicia probably six months ago, if not more. I think more. And we had scheduled with her multiple times. We had technology issues. We had internet issues. We had so many challenges. We felt like this podcast uh, episode would never happen. But today, we finally get to hear her amazing story.
1: And she has been so patient and so kind with... Literally, most of our guests, we have seamless experiences, but unfortunately, luck of the draw, she got hit with all of our tech issues on multiple occasions. Mm -hmm. So Alicia, as you're listening to this, thank you for your patience and kindness. And we are so grateful that you kept giving us a shot and coming back on the show. And we cannot wait for everyone to hear your story about how you had to refer a client out and how it shaped your career trajectory.
0: Absolutely. I know. And again, worth a listen for everybody. We can't wait to hear what you think about this one.
1: And before we get into it, this is just a friendly reminder that this episode is not a substitute for clinical consultation, ethical guidance, or therapy itself, and it's just for entertainment purposes only.
0: All right. Well, this is episode number 32 of Am I a Bad Therapist? Let's get into it.
2: Alicia,
1: welcome to Am I a Bad Therapist?
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Well, we're so excited to hear your journey. And before we get into your period of practice or period of life that made you question whether you were a bad therapist or not, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Sure. So I own and operate a group therapy practice. Uh, we practice across New York. We have six clinicians uh, working with us that are incredible. Um, I also own a clothing brand, like a mental health apparel and accessories line. And then I create uh, content on social media.
0: You're so many a lot. things, all the things.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: I love that Multi, multi-passionate entrepreneur. Yes. there. So, so Alicia, tell us about why you're a bad therapist?
2: Yeah, love to. Okay. So I am a 2020 mom, uh, which I feel like is a story in and of itself.
1: That's a uh, special club you're a member of.
2: <laughs> I thank you. I feel like we should like get t-shirts or something out of this. <laughs> So I was about four months pregnant, uh, when the pandemic hit, uh, I was due in July of 2020 and I was running my practice from home throughout the whole thing. Cause what else was there to do really? Um, and then when it came to my due date, um, long story short, I had to have my baby four weeks early just due to some medical stuff. And so we knew he was premature. Um, we knew that came with, you know, whatever it comes with. And it also came with a little bit of a traumatic C-section, a whole lot of like postpartum depression and anxiety with like a sprinkle of PTSD, the stuff that like nobody really warns you about when you're Mm -hmm. about to have a baby. Um, so I, only took four weeks of maternity leave and I can feel the moms just cringing at me saying that (laughs) because in my mind, I was like, I work from home, like the Mm. baby's home. Like I'm home with the baby. I can work a couple hours a night, like no big deal. So the first couple weeks of my maternity, maternity leave, quote unquote, um, were obviously difficult, but fine. And then week five came when I had my clients scheduled and I was only seeing probably maybe six um, a week. And I remember being on the phone with my friend the day before I was supposed to start sessions thinking, I don't think I have any clinical skills left. Like, I think they (laughs) left my body with this pregnancy and this delivery. And, you know, she was very lovely and reassuring. So then I sit down to, I think it was my second or third uh, appointment that week. And it was a mom who just had a traumatic birth. And the first thought that went through my head as she was processing this like awful and vulnerable and scary experience with me was shit girl. Me too. (laughs) Yeah. Me too, girl. Like I, I, yeah, I feel you. This shit is hard. And then in that moment as a therapist, you're like, Oh fuck. Like I'm the therapist, you know, like (laughs) it's. me. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I have so many moments of those where it's like, I look around the therapy room. I'm like, where's the, th- oh, I, I'm the
2: therapist.
0: That's totally. Like There's an Instagram account. Have you guys seen it? There's an Instagram account called, wait, I'm the therapist. And that's literally the premise. And their bio is like, you should see a therapist for that. And it's like, oh, wait, I'm the therapist. And I feel like it <laughs> speaks to that moment so strongly of where it's almost like when you're like, oh, there should be an adult here. And it's like, wait, I'm the adult. This, that's amazing. This, I should be able to do this. That's so <laughs> relatable. <laughs>
1: yeah so here you are sitting in the therapy room just having got back from a really traumatic um birth experience and a very short postpartum uh, time off mm-hmm. Um and by to be fair it was your choice correct to go back mm-hmm. that you made oh totally you chose I assume you chose this before you had your child Totally. that you only need four weeks oh, and yeah. then when you got to the end of the four weeks it's Oh, this is this is not what I expected. It's a little rougher than I expected. And you're sitting with a client who went through something that's bringing up your own trauma.
2: Yeah, talk about a consequence of my own actions.
1: <laughs> so, I want to loop back before we get into how you handled that particular yeah. client. I want to I want to loop back to how was your experience working during a pandemic while having a newborn? How did you manage that?
2: It was it, is the term unprecedented still like a thing.
1: <laughs> I think you can still use it.
2: There's, there's nothing that can prepare you for it. I mean, mm-hmm. you go into a pregnancy and having a baby with such like a beautiful plan. And obviously life happens, but we never expected this. Uh, we never expected not to be able to lean on family and friends for help. We never expected not to have childcare. Um, mm-hmm. You know, thank God for telehealth and being able to work from home and kind of splitting childcare with my partner in that way. But um, it was tough. (laughs) And I think the pandemic for all therapists posed a challenge of like, we're counseling people who are going through the exact same traumas that we are. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know that I was ever prepared for that through any amount of school or continuing education or anything to go through, you know, continued trauma alongside our clients. And then you add in hormones following a baby. And, um, yeah, it was, it was difficult. I, sh- I should have gone on Zoloft sooner is what I will say because, it was Amen. A miracle for my <laughs> postpartum anxiety. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I know a lot of women who will start um, an SSRI in like their last month of pregnancy for so the postpartum so uh, mood disorders. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, oh my goodness, Alicia. So here you are going through the pandemic, and I—I I know Allie and I can absolutely relate mm-hmm. to help working with clients while also going through our own yeah. pandemic traumas. But then put on top of it, the new mom traumatic birth and, and what was it like for you to sit with that client?
2: It was a feeling that I don't feel like I've ever experienced with a client. I feel like one thing I was always good at as a therapist was separation. And uh, there was no separating that for me. There was no thinking my way critically, analytically, emotionally through that separation between my experiences and my feelings and this client's experiences and their feelings and i felt like a failure as a therapist Mm -hmm. in that moment of like you know this i think that every client in front of me deserves like the best therapist that i could possibly be and i couldn't provide even close to that to this person
0: And was this early on in the session where she started talking about it? Like, how did you get through the rest of this session? And then your work with her, I guess it's like a layered question.
2: Yeah. So luckily it was a very high verbal processing client. So Mm -hmm. I had that going for me. Um, and I looking back would like to think that just giving the client the space in that moment to sort of process through this verbally was, um, I don't want to say enough, but it was a lot that I could give them. Um, but it, it was tough. It was like therapy 101. Like, let's just give them some refrains. Let's give them some, Mm -hmm. you know, um, some positive affirmations around this. Let's give them some like very basic coping skills and just get through the end of the session.
1: (laughs) What comes to mind for me is sometimes when I'm feeling, um, incapable of giving the client what I want to give them for whatever's coming up within me, sometimes I just repeat back to myself, do no harm, do no harm, do no harm.
2: That's so, that's so good.
1: (laughs) Right. That's our base level.
2: Do no harm. If
1: I could stick to that, then I can get through the session and, and get my own help.
2: I love that. I'm going to take that one with me.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Do no harm. Um, So session ends, or or, I don't know where you were going to go, Catherine, but I was going to say the session ends. What happens next after that?
2: So I have a good cry, first and foremost. And then I really think about like, okay, my emotions aside, my experience aside, like what does this client need? And I know that the client and I had a really good working relationship, but at the end of the day, like that client just needed something that wasn't me because of where I was personally in my life at that time. So based on the client's uh, insurance and co-pays and all of that, I found a the most extensive referral list I think I've ever provided to a client before, Um, you know, ranked on, I know this therapist personally to this is, you know, how many people recommended this therapist Um, very thorough referral list. And I did it via email and I just said, Hey, happy to have a follow-up session, but here is like some wonderful referral sources. And I kept it very uh, vague. I just said, you know, I appreciate you sharing all of this with me. And these therapists are better suited for your needs because of X, Y, and Z rather than focusing on me at all. Um, Mm -hmm. And thank God she was just very thankful that I provided those and acknowledged like what she needed and never really asked further. Um, She did ask to have another session, which I did. Um, But it was kind of like a closing session at that point, which was much easier than being in the thick of somebody else's trauma for 60 minutes.
1: Yeah. Tell me, what what went through your thought process when deciding whether or not to disclose your own experiences? How did you come to
2: that decision for you and this particular client in this situation? I always go back to, I had this wonderful professor in grad school, Dr. O'Brien, and he always said with self-disclosure, is it benefiting you or is it benefiting the client? Mm -hmm. And I always think back to that. And I'm like, you know, in that moment, disclosing that I was also going through a very similar trauma that they were, that wouldn't benefit them in any way. Like that knowledge wouldn't change the course of their therapy. It would, I was afraid it would make them feel like they had to take care of me in a way, uh, mm-hmm. which I mm-hmm. isn't their responsibility. Um, mm-hmm. And I just really couldn't find a way that it could benefit them in that moment. And maybe, maybe it could have just as far as like, you're not alone and other people go through this. Um, but it seems so fresh that maybe that
0: wasn't the time. That makes sense. It's always a very difficult line. I think with anything yeah. we do with self-disclosure, um, and again, I feel like our listeners can relate regardless of what it was about. It's such a challenging decision and it's really hard to weigh those options. Um, now I'm curious, did you have other mothers on your caseload? Did this impact like your work in general or just was it this particular client?
2: I did. And then I was petrified to meet with any of them because I'm like, if I haven't Birth trauma. I'm gonna have to shut this practice down. I can't do this. Um, so I, I did work with other moms throughout it, and luckily everybody was in kind of different um, phases of the newborn life at the time.
0: Um, so that really worked out in my favor. Let's pause here for a quick ad break.
1: As a way to say a huge thank you for all of you listening and supporting Am I a Bad Therapist across this whole year, Allie and I wanted to do something really fun and really special for the Am I a Bad Therapist community. And so we have a vision board workshop for therapists that we will be hosting for all of you January 6th. What better way to kick off the new year. And with your two favorite bad therapists, Allie and Catherine learning how to vision board for you and your clients.
0: Yes, we are so excited to bring this to you all and it is a free workshop that we are going to be having together. We're going to post the link for registration in the show notes, of course, and we're going to be learning lots of things about vision boarding. We're going to learn about the benefits of it for both inside and outside the therapy room. We're going to learn about different types of vision boards, such as a vision board calendar, physical versus digital vision boards, um, how to use them as a clinical intervention with your clients how to use it as a form of personal self-care. And we are going to be creating a digital vision board together during the workshop.
1: So if you want to spend some time with Allie and myself in the new year, setting our goals, learning more about vision boarding for inside and outside the therapy room, make sure you check out the show notes. The registration link is there. Totally free. It's our way to say thank you to you. And if you can't make the live event and sit with us in person, then no problem. You're going to get a recording sent to your email as soon as it's finished. So go to the show notes, register, and we will see you January 6th. Well, Let's loop back to the show. Hey, I'm reflecting on, so I have two, two children and one was born pre-pandemic and one was born end of 2019 and it's okay. I was okay. (laughs) But I'm reflecting on when I came back from maternity leave after both of those pregnancies. Yeah. Um, and full disclosure, I was like you for my first pregnancy with my son. I actually scheduled what, like six weeks to two months off. And I, I actually chose to go back after a month. That was my own wow. like, decision because I wanted, I, I wanted to go back. I went back very part time, but I had. Okay it was not during covid i had tons of family support around me um you know childcare with the grandparents it was a very easy transition for me but i remember going back and people asking me about how my birth went <laughs> and think like for me i was able to discuss that but did did any did that ever come up for you with your clients and if so how did you handle that because i can imagine that that could have been a very triggering question
2: Yeah. And even the question of like, oh my gosh, how are you doing? Like I've heard postpartum can be so hard and I don't want to say I lied, but I leaned on the good parts. Like I leaned on like the baby's doing wonderfully. Like the baby is so healthy, like complete diversion of the question. And I don't, think that anybody really questioned it. Cause then we just kind of rolled into session and it was Pushed like up. kind of a natural transition. Um, but I totally deflected away from like very therapist one one like completely deflected on my baby and was like, he's wonderful. Like he's doing great. We're sleeping, we're eating, like we're just living life over here.
1: I love that. And that's, that's similar to how I handled it as well. Yeah. Um, although I can't even imagine, you know, having, People bringing up a traumatic event and not knowing it. And then you're right. about to go into session and process other people's traumas.
2: Totally. Right.
1: So how did you, if you don't mind sharing, yeah. what did you do for yourself after you recognized this major trigger and counter transference coming up? How did you shape your practice or get yourself help? How did this change your trajectory?
2: Did it? Yeah. I actually think it changed like the whole trajectory of my practice. At the time I was the only therapist in my practice. Um, it was just me and there wasn't really, there was always like ultimate goals of like, I would love to own a group practice. Like it's so, it can be so isolating being like a sole provider in your practice. And, um, I think it was probably six months postpartum. I was upping my therapy, which was wonderful. And I was seeking, uh, so much more supervision. And I eventually decided like, It's not a failure to have to slow down on the face-to-face interaction with clients. And so at the height of returning after pregnancy, I was probably seeing 15 to 20 clients a week. um, And I now see nine. And I was able to do that. You know, finances do matter, unfortunately, when it comes to therapy. I was able to do that because of hiring and supporting other therapists. And it totally shaped my practice because I don't think it's a coincidence that the majority of the therapists on my team are moms who also work from home and (laughs) schedule around their family. And Something I tell them when I bring them on is like, if you want to see clients at six in the morning, because that's what works for you, like, that's what we're going to do. And if you want to see clients at nine at night, after your kids go to sleep, like, that's what we're going to do because we'll find clients that fit like your needs. And it really shaped my whole practice into like, we work around the therapist needs because like, we need to take care of ourselves. And I don't think that I initially set myself up to take care of myself very well.
0: That's amazing. That's so special. Like it really is because it is so important. And it's, I feel like it's a little complicated because that should be the norm, right? Like that should be like the bare minimum for us as therapists, (sighs) but we know, unfortunately, that's not the truth. So to hear you being able to support other therapists, like that is your, again, that is like your baseline. That is what's normalized for you and the clinicians you work with. That is amazing. I really hope more of us continue to shift that um, agency work, all of it because we know again, it's not the case. There's lots of burnout, lots of demand. Yes. So we have to give you credit for that. It's amazing.
2: Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. it.
1: And the fact you took having to refer out a, a a a client as soon as you came back from maternity leave because of your own countertransference and trauma coming up, you took that and you you leaned into it and let it shape how you built your business, how you structured your Mm -hmm. time, how you cared for yourself. I just sit here wondering like, what if that client never called you? Like, where would you be? And that's a really interesting thought to think that even clients that we don't work with long-term can completely shape our lives.
2: Totally. Totally. What I've just been like pushing through the grind, you know, for the first two years of my child's life.
0: Like, yeah, who knows? And I will say too, like, so I will also share, I'm childless. So like, love this conversation, but I feel like it's still so applicable, even if anyone listening is not a parent Mm -hmm. or anything like Mm -hmm. that, because we've talked about this on the podcast before, where we can feel like a bad therapist if we want to take a step back from the one-to-one work. Like we feel Mm -hmm. a lot of shame and guilt. I know I've experienced it, and but it's okay. We're not bad therapists for pulling back on that and focusing our attention in other areas. Mm -hmm. And again, like you were saying, for you, you are able to support other clinicians and again, in an amazing way. You shared you have your clothing business. Catherine and I have talked about before. We both have many, 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 many projects that we do. And I know for me, that's how I operate. It makes me a better therapist Mm -hmm. at the end of the day because I'm Mm -hmm. able to better show up for the clients that I do see Mm -hmm. because I'm not forcing myself to fill my time only with one-to-one work and burning myself out. So again, Mm -hmm. I feel like it still applies just in general to any clinician. So I hope our listeners still can, again, feel that it is applicable whether you're a parent or not, and just looking at this bigger message because it's so valid. Mm -hmm. Well, it's also super applicable in the sense that sometimes we feel like a bad therapist when our clients
1: remind us of something yucky that's still within us, Mm -hmm. whether it be Mm -hmm. a trauma, shame, guilt, uh, just maladaptive thought process, relationships, Mm -hmm. communication styles, right? Thoughts about ourselves. Whenever, our, I mean, we hear that so often when therapists are reminded about their own ick and their own areas that could be worked on, um, or own pitfalls, it, it makes us feel like so inferior and an imposter because we are sitting with the same thing or very similar things to the person sitting across from us. Mm-hmm. Um, so that in and of itself is completely relatable. And then the need to pull back. Absolutely. Um, I, I can't help but think that like, we have to be humans. So Mm -hmm. how could we not feel what our clients are feeling at some point in our lives? Right.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that goes back to, you know, kind of shattering our own ego sometimes when we think like, oh shit, we really need like a therapist in this session. (laughs) I'm going to bring that
1: into the room. And next time I feel (laughs) that I very well might say it to my client.
2: Yes. This room really deserves a therapist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's,
1: it just, it brings humor to the messiness that is our work, right? Yeah. Like to the, to the gray, we always talk about that on the show, like the gray areas, the murkiness, like that is what we work with. We try and mold murkiness into Mm -hmm. something useful, like every session we sit with. And so of course we're going to feel, feel this from time to time.
2: Yeah, totally. I love listening to Brene Brown's podcast too, because she talks about just like, sometimes you just need a moment of silence to really like process through what has just been told to you. And I'm like, normalize that moment of silence because Mm -hmm. you hear some stuff sometimes and you're just like, I don't, I will have a response, but like, I need a second to, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of digest Mm -hmm. all of this and like, take something meaningful away from it for you mm-hmm. and i think sometimes I, I don't know if it's just because everything is so fast-paced now it's like we feel like we have to give these immediate thoughtful responses and sometimes we just need a moment of silence it's a really good point about the shift of of
1: quickness or delay of communication and how it is very instantaneous now and how that might be showing up Aww. in the therapy room. That is a dissertation in the works. Someone <laughs> should, someone listening should do that and let us know how it goes.
0: Yeah. yes, I can't remember if we talked about it on the podcast or maybe this is in a consult group, but I, we, Catherine, you'll have to remind me, okay. um, talking about the difference between silence in telehealth versus in person. Did that happen? I don't know. Oh. Regardless, either way. I think that was
1: a consult group on the network. Okay. I don't think that well, was on the podcast.
0: Yeah. I'll, re- I'll share a little bit there then just so it makes sense. Um, cause I intentionally use silence a lot in my practice. I think it's very important. I agree sometimes. Uh, yeah. I, and I will, I'll maybe say like, I'm going to just process, you know, give, Like, collect my thoughts. And again, like, if it's heavy, I'm like, sometimes we just need this minute to just let it sit Mm -hmm. here with us. But I know for myself, I've noticed it feels more challenging for me personally to allow the silence and telehealth Mm -hmm. versus in person. I don't know if either of you experienced that, but I feel like that's also a factor in my mind, at least, or in my practice is. Fast paced, you know, silence can be challenging in general, but then putting that layer of when you're not sitting in the room with somebody, how does it feel? Does it feel different? I think it does. I'd love to hear what you guys think.
1: Oh, absolutely. You have way less nonverbal. There's no communicate. There's very little nonverbal communication that you can see outside of the face for telehealth. Right. But in Mm -hmm. the room, you can see the tenseness in their arms. You can Mm -hmm. see their posture. You can like, you can see those things, but feeling that presence in the room makes me feel like we're still communicating, Mm -hmm. uh, even though there's no words being spoken. And it's harder to feel that level of nonverbal
2: communication for me via telehealth. What do Mm -hmm. you think, Alicia? The first thing that comes to mind is I can just imagine the person saying, oh my gosh, did the screen freeze or something like that? Because that's usually if there's like a pause, even if we're just thinking it's because of
0: a technology error. Mm -hmm. Very good point. So interesting. Well, it doesn't make us bad therapists for using silence or having technology issues or all the things. Um, But again, it just still, I feel like plays into all of what we're talking about of, again, just how we are navigating, practicing Mm-hmm. Post-pandemic, if you want to call it that, whatever you want to call it, yeah. um, and again, Alicia, how it shaped for it's shaped so much of us, but especially for you after totally. the birth of your child, it's so interesting. Oh my totally. goodness, totally, yeah.
2: It yes, it very <laughs> interesting and kind of like a whirlwind to think back mm-hmm. on, but um, you know, definitely very glad with the trajectory that it kind of shot me in.
1: Yeah, I love that. So, Alicia, what? Would you, what advice would you give someone, a therapist who is in a similar situation as you were in? Someone who is perhaps going through a life transition and is sitting with a potential new client, and that client is bringing up some pretty strong counter transference and it's trauma related. What advice would you give that clinician?
2: I would like to borrow your advice first and foremost of do no harm, if I could, because <laughs> yeah, I would absolutely have that at the time. Uh, So, yeah, first and foremost, do no harm and I think, you know, stripping it back to basics of, you know, your psychotherapy 101 course of mm-hmm. be an active listener, provide this non-judgmental uh, environment for them and provide the unconditional positive regard, provide, you know, the support. And I think that sometimes that's enough to get through and still provide something to that client. Like, and kind of ensure that that client will walk away with something from that session without harming yourself in mm-hmm. the meantime.
1: So I'm hearing of the overall theme of lower those expectations. When you <laughs> sure. are not at your best, you better darn well lower those expectations for sure.
2: For sure. There might not be measurable changes happening during that session, but that doesn't mean it's a failure.
1: I love it. I love it. I love it. So Alicia, where can our listeners find you if they want to connect more with you and your stories outside of this podcast?
2: For sure. So our practice is convenient counseling services. So we're at convenientcounselingservices.com. And then on Instagram and TikTok, I am underscore authentically underscore Alicia, A-L-I-C-I-A. Oh,
0: I love that handle. That's Thank beautiful.
1: You. And as always, we'll link
0: it in the show notes so people can find you. But thank you so much for sharing the story. So happy we made this happen. Um, For our listeners, we've had to reschedule this a couple (laughs) of times. We've had some technology things. This episode almost didn't happen, but finally it did. And we're so happy that it did because this was amazing.
2: Oh, thank you guys so much. I'm so glad I was here.
1: And that's it. The OG bad therapists, Allie and Catherine, are signing off for the week.
0: Make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We pick a few lucky five-star reviewers to shout out and invite for a 15-minute consultation with the both of us to talk about anything on your mind. From clinical work to podcasting, we're game. Just make sure to leave us your name and location in the review. Are you a bad therapist and want to be
1: on the show? Go to abadtherapist.com and tell us your story.
0: Our podcast is produced and edited by my amazing husband, Austin Joy. He also created the music for our intro and outro. You can find this song along with many others on any music platform under the artist Air for Effect. And if you're a bad therapist starting your own podcast or wanting to level up the one you already have, contact Austin for his full suite of podcast and sound production services. You can find him on Instagram at Air for Effect. And don't forget, we're
1: all bad therapists.